I'm Erica. I'm Micah. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Erica, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Erica. I'm a Topic Lord. Um, I, uh, I would like to plug Kitchen the Musical. I can't remember any of it, and it exists only in my head. So uh, this is an invitation for people to write Kitchen the Musical, which will certainly be a hit. And already has this advertising, but will certainly not live up to the musical you have in your mind, in your own mind. <laughs> I can't remember it, so you never know. <laughs> and you can't lose. Uh, Micah, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Micah. I'm going to plug Bermuda's Triangle, which is not the Bermuda Triangle. This is a guy named Louis Bermudez who does narration on YouTube that I've been writing for. So if you want to go listen to horror stories narrated, check out Bermuda's Triangle. Or Jailing Tales for Dark Nights, and you will find that there. So, so Jim, I often bring uh, some of the um, ARG people onto your show, and this time I'm bringing one of the ARG designers, Micah Edwards. I, I hope it's okay that I spoil, spoil your last name, because you should also like advertise your books, which are excellent. Um, Barren Mind. Yeah. <laughs> Micah um, was somebody who I, I was um, kind of like sneakily asking to test some of the puzzles that Justin Melvin and I were writing. And then eventually, as one of the ideas for what um, the Frog Fraction to ARG would become, I wanted Micah to actually, uh, because he has like an IT job, I wanted him to run a Minecraft server <laughs> that could be up for 24 hours a day with no advertising so that I could put puzzles into this Minecraft world and have people like eventually find them and build like a frog-shaped temple and that would like <laughs> unlock their next thing and micah uh was like that sounds great um however i just fired somebody for doing exactly that <laughs> <laughs> so um that's how micah got roped into the arg eventually and he became one of the main puzzle designers there was no minecraft as you remember <laughs> Yeah, that's too bad. That would have been a that would have been a fun trick. Yeah, it would have been good, but I think on the whole, I don't like to be the kind of person who goes, "Listen, you can't do this, but I can." So wait, <laughs> you're not allowed to do it on company time. Well, no, it or... would have been on the company servers. Is the real problem? That is what he'd gotten fired for. Oh, oh I see. I see. Right. <laughs> but like, it makes me think. Like, was was Micah's employee also like running an ARG for his friends or something? <laughs> Listen, you're just doing research so you better understand the criminal mind that does these things on company time. That's right. I'm, I'm doing white hat args. Right. Mike, I hope you don't feel too bad that Erica out-introduced you. No, no. I'm, I'm glad I have people here to promote things like me and Kitchen the Musical appropriately. <laughs> uh, are we ready to start on some topics? Let's do it. Sure. Erica, your topic is In Praise of Bad Hidden Object Games. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I love terrible games. Um, I really love terrible games. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that you have talked about terrible games on this arc before, but specifically, like, I really loved hidden object games. So these were like, when I first saw them, it must have been 2003 or 2004, maybe. And they were, um, they were awful. They were huge <laughs> bloated games where it was just like layers upon layers upon layers of of garbage and and really a lot of it would be garbage but they had like little image files for like a beach ball or a starfish or a wrench or an umbrella or a clock or a pocket watch or an apron or something or or a tortoise and um they were just flip them around from room to room. And the point was to go from room to room and find these things as they would sort of light up little descriptions of them on the bottom. You would find them and it would be sort of like a timed game. Um, sometimes you'd have to find 12 of something or whatever, but they would reuse these images and they would even reuse the images from game to game. <laughs> so if you would like buy a number of these on, uh, like I bought a number of these on Big Fish Games eventually, and you would just see the same images cropping up from game to game. 
a lot of them kind of like involved these terrible plot lines where you were somebody who had to clean up somebody's room and then you had to go clean up the office and then you had to clean up the garage and in the garage you found something that would help you like unlock the car and then you had to clean up the car. I, I found it like profoundly disturbing and comforting at the same time that like I could not do these things for myself in real life, but I was I was happily like sorting things into drawers in these hidden object games. Right, yeah. Like now they have morphed into something totally different. I think most of them are come out of like studios in Russia and Ukraine and Poland, but there's one called Blue Tea that's in Hong Kong. And they're a genre of games that I I never hear anybody talking about. They're called Hopas, Hidden Object Puzzle Adventures. Mm-hmm. And they have like plots and they have beautiful art. And all of the art is like hand detailed for these individual games. And they're terrible because they just have these like bland plots. They're kind of racist and sexist. They're almost always about saving a princess or being a witch or um, saving your grandparents. And like, they're gorgeous, but nobody has like a fan base. Like you would see on Twitter about like League of Legends, like, no, that hero has a casting time of blah, blah, blah. Nobody says like, no, when you're the dragon in hidden object grimoire terrors you have to have the red ruby in order to progress there's no there's no fan base there's no like there's no kind of like uh, testosterone driven arguing about you know <laughs> the mechanics of these games but they are kind of like what i want games to be which is like i want to click on something and watch it like go away <laughs> 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 they're like a very very basic form of interaction you, see, you just want a block button in real life i want to block this mess of dishes in the sink yeah but now they're about like fairies and stuff but you have to you have to go on the adventure and you have to solve puzzles and in my mind even though i love puzzles like the puzzles make the whole thing so much worse because they block you from the moments where you can like pick up the riding crop, pick up the horseshoe, pick up, you know, the hay bale, like whatever it is that you're picking up. That's yeah. all I'm there for is just picking the stuff up. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to do a crossword. You just want to do a word find. Yeah. 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 I, I, I remember seeing those games in the nineties in Target, like uh-huh. next to the <laughs> Nancy Drew games. And it was just like, I don't know. It, it looked, it, I didn't pay too much attention to it because it looked like it was for women, you know? And the gameplay was just find these objects. Um, I'm actually horrified that those games existed where they didn't even custom draw the objects in the room. They just pasted them over the existing room. <laughs> right, right, right. After they more, like, I actually started getting interested in these. Like, I want to, in the, I don't know, in the past five or five years or so, I've been like getting very down on games that are about murder. Yeah. And like, this is one of those, I like, you just never see these sort of women focused plots in video games. And I got very interested in this sort of game and I tried playing a few. And of course, now they're all free to play games, which means they're full of horrible microtransactions. Oh, okay. So you're, you're thinking of the ones that like appear on your iPhones and stuff. I am. The studios that I'm talking about, like you have to buy these games on Steam, or I think they still sell them to Big Fish Games, but they're they're costly to make. They have these beautiful, like rich looking fairy tale art, and they're not free to play. You can you can watch people let's play them if you're interested in seeing what they look like. But yeah, like they have become more um, challenging. Sometimes mm-hmm. they do contain murder. Um, there's one called Puppet Show, which is very like gory and horrible. And there's one that is kind of like a a saw kind of thing where you're you're trying to save your friends from being murdered in horrible ways. Wow. There are no timers. Like you can just let them sit there and have somebody like approach them slowly in a horrible fashion, uh, <laughs> and nothing will happen to them. But it is kind of funny to me that these like bad games are clearly marketed 
to women. And like, it would be nice for me if I could say like, that meant that there would be no violence in these games, but there, there are versions of these that are very violent. Right. And right. I, I don't like those. So I was just looking in the wrong place. These, this, I might still be able to live my dream of experiencing, yeah. <laughs> experiencing the, like the, the Nancy Drew, like, uh, I, I have to assume there's like a girl detective subgenre. Yeah. And Nancy Drew is like a huge series of these. And again, like I never see anyone talking about them, but it would be neat to sit down like a group of hardcore gaming men or, you know, men who like really think seriously about games mm -hmm. and just like ask them if it made them feel less manly to play <laughs> these like fun little click games, you know? Right. <laughs> Another interesting thing too, I think, is that you're saying that they're very expensive to create. They're very elaborate. So they're clearly being marketed somewhere. Somewhere there's an audience they wouldn't keep making them. And it's just so bizarre to think these days that there's an audience that isn't getting online and discussing it. It's a completely different way of approaching games anymore. Where are they, though? I mean, is this like a bunch of like ladies on Reddit? Or is it a bunch <laughs> of like teenagers who want like to be, to wear big dresses and be fancy ballroom ladies or <laughs> so I, I remember um, uh, someone I don't remember if this was a I don't think this was a study I think this was someone like who interviewed some teen girl gamers about what they want out of video games and came to the conclusion that these girls like playing games online they just don't like talking to other gamers online. Mm-hmm. And for yeah, obvious reasons. And me. I think these people might just, they might actually not be congregating online. They might just be enjoying their game by themselves. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are also like casual games that have no timers. So I kind of imagine they're for like parents, mm -hmm. but I do, I do wonder what the demographics are in some ways, because like, I, I imagine that there are men who love these games and don't talk about them at all. And like, they don't get made in the U S but they're made in English. So they're clearly like marketed towards the U S audience. Um, yeah. they're, they're basically like all made in Eastern Europe and Russia. And like, I, I don't know. It's just, um, they must have gaming conferences where they're like, what appeals to this, demographic that we know about <laughs> 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 you know when's our next when's our next like elf forest game coming out when's our <laughs> it might be like a private mailing list you know i'm on a couple mm -hmm. of those where like people in my case they're people who are like have you know they're public facing on twitter as well but this is like uh, a private list where people you know hash things out that they don't want to talk about publicly it may be that like these people, all the Russians who make the hidden object games for American women, if they're on a mailing list somewhere. <laughs> they're not even coming out of Moscow. They're coming out of like small towns. They're coming out of like yeah, I mean, if, Poland if the games, and Ukraine and Lithuania and yeah, stuff. A game that has a small uh, market share and is expensive to make, you want to make it in the cheapest place possible. Yeah. Yeah, with good coders. Mm-hmm. But the but the gameplay loop of just clicking on something to make it go away, like I'm so into how, it. How is I, that any different from a first person shooter? <laughs> exactly. I just I just don't feel like shooting anyone. Like I would rather mix right. potions and stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> Jim, do you want to introduce a new topic? Sure. Let's talk about uh, uh, Micah. Your topic is better designs for the human body. All right. Look. So the human body is, I think, poorly thought out, which we can basically all agree on. Uh -huh. <laughs> the pain response is a dumb way to handle things. It's just, it's never, there's no updates, there's no fixes, it's not <laughs> modular, which is my biggest complaint. The fact that I can't swap out is just offensive to me. We have to keep building on, and that's no way to handle systems. I work with a lot of legacy systems, and I see the damage that's caused by trying to maintain the system you have and just put this extra piece on. It's a stupid way to do it. It's better to just replace the whole thing. So, all that said is, I think the biggest thing is we need swappable parts. Mm -hmm. 
Which ones do you want to swap? <laughs> well, I just like for deep sea exploration, we need some. We need something to be able to, you know, gills would be great. Some sort of anything to stop getting the bends. I mean, we can't go down like what a hundred feet, two hundred feet before it starts getting dangerous. That's ridiculous. There's a lot of water below that. Yeah, the only way to fix it right now is to uh, is to add to yourself like a huge metal exoskeleton that you wrap around yourself. Right, and you you can do it that way, but you shouldn't. It's inefficient. <laughs> so they have this like gene editing technology now, which um, I'm against, but it sounds like it would be popular in the audience of this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm 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 certain that everybody who listens to this show knows about CRISPR. Oh yeah, yeah right, and um, it. it Got past some like loophole, so you can't uh, you can't make an organism by adding or deleting a gene. Um, somehow, like there's this idea of like you need to have the same number of genes to be the same number, the same organism, which is like not true. So now they um, they say, oh, we're not adding or deleting anything. We're just changing these small parts of the genome. So um, you could you could introduce the modular human. And uh, and see if that takes off. I like it. Uh, that sounds like a 1950s Ray Bradbury novel. <laughs> I'd read it. <laughs> so when you say you can't add or delete genes, who's making that rule? So it's um, there's there there has to be some history on this, but in the 1980s, um, they were beginning to have like gene technologies, and people were patenting genes or uh, attempting to patent genes. Mm -hmm. And Reagan made a decision that um, genes could be patented. It, it sounds weird, but it was some kind of policy like that got decided in the courts. But, but he basically thought, like, you can patent genes, why not? But nobody should be able to patent an organism like a strawberry. But then there's not really a distinction between genes and organisms so much. Like, if you patent all the genes in an organism. You're basically patenting an organism. So eventually, I think they were able to patent strings of genes and then bacteria, you know, possibly in the making of insulin or so something like that. Um, but now you can patent organisms. So this patenting stuff came first. Um, and the legal stuff, like the, the kind of rules about ownership came first and the legal consequences of that got got like put on paper later. But this is stuff that um, like the US has agreed to. And now I think there's some kind of modern version that's like a um, an agreement between the European Union and the United States. But like China is not in on this. So you constantly read about weird experiments going on with like genome experiments and stuff like that. Uh, so this is in the United States, you can expect organisms to have the same number of genes that they started with, but possibly nowhere else in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an extremely specific handicap. I know. <laughs> but, um, you know, plants, which are modular, they, they um, you know, they undergo uh, throughout their like evolutionary history, they undergo like full genome duplication at times. Um, so, you know, if you do invent that modular human, uh, maybe you could get like a, a diploid or a triploid human, which would have like more arms and more legs and then losing one wouldn't be quite so bad. Exactly. And let me tell you, <laughs> there's so many situations where I would, if I just had an extra limb would have done so much better. <laughs> I have no doubt. They help you get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> or, I mean, if you lose a limb, just add an, add another one back. You know, you don't you don't have to worry about like I I am I am, uh, for example, I have been uh, avoiding getting a even though I'm cooking more, I'm avoiding getting a sharper kitchen knife because I don't want to cut off a finger. Yeah, you 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 need to learn how to hold the knife, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't have to if you just put a new thumb on. Right, or even better, I could I could like replace my hand with the knife, Ooh. Uh -huh. and then I won't. It would be impossible to cut off a finger because it's just the knife. That's true. That's true. You could um, you could speak a hundred different languages, like one with each tongue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we just we took a real quick jump there from modularity to eldritch gods. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where this is yeah, headed. Oh, I'm, still, right? I'm still with it. That wasn't an objection. <laughs>
I'm assuming I'm just sweet talking the food into cutting itself. <laughs> oh, see, where I was just going for a hundred gibbering mouths, summoning up kitchen destruction. <laughs> okay. I assume that's like the the bad guy in Kitchen the Musical. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta introduce the characters. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about this. The only thing that I remember from Kitchen the Musical is the line, um, "I'm just kidding. It's all about cheese." And that was like preceded by like a, a whole thing that came out while I was cooking and singing and everything. And it's lost. It's lost to time. If only you were writing this musical while recording the podcast. <laughs> I know. We'd have, to, we'd have to continuously podcast at all times. <laughs> I see no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's do. Uh, my topic is, when you say excuse me, you're asking forgiveness for doing something rude, such as burping. When you say excuse me as a demand that someone move out of the way because you're impatient to get past, the, man, the demand is itself the rude thing, so you should have to say it twice. I'm, I'm detecting like an infinite regress into just, um, you know, because if you say excuse me to somebody twice, that's actually quite rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's, yeah, I just invented a whole bunch of trouble, trouble for people to get into. I, I think it can work, though. The trick is, it's only rude based on your tone of voice. You'd have to keep saying it until it becomes no longer rude, and that last one was the apology. There you go. It might take a long time, but eventually you'll be bored, and at least you'll hit a null tone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so does your the voice just keep getting higher and higher pitched? whirling away into, into the unhearable. <laughs> Until you're only saying excuse me to dogs and bats. <laughs> I mean, nobody has said excuse me to them and they probably need an apology, right? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> People are very rude to dogs. Bats, I think, do pretty well for themselves. <laughs> oh, there's there's all that, like the, the movies where bats get stuck in somebody's hair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 on the fence about whether that's real or not. You know, I have long hair. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been in st stuck inside with bats. Mm -hmm. uh, they've never gotten stuck in in my hair. Whereas, like, um, you know, I've I've talked about how Tucson is like kind of a terrible place to live at times. So it's spring now, which means that it's it's uh, 95 degrees already mm -hmm. uh, in in early April, and now we get the big bugs. Uh, so there are at least two kinds of really large bugs that come out now. One is like a June bug, which is probably like two inches long. And they are like hair magnets. They just get, they just wham themselves into people's hair. And like people run around until like strangers run up to them to dislodge the bug. And then the other bug that comes out. So the way this is a common thing. This is like this is, a this is a common thing. Like once you walk through town, you're definitely going to see someone running to get their hair debugged. Yeah, I have debugged. I have debugged several strangers' hair. Uh. <laughs> June bugs have like hooks on their legs too. So once they're yeah. gripped on, yeah, you have to get that individual <laughs> one and individually pick out each piece of hair it's holding on to. <laughs> and the other bug that comes out now is. Um, is like this uh, three and a half or four inch, uh, it looks like a cockroach. Um, it's a Palo Verde beetle and they just fly around. They just fly around and like, it's just these <laughs> massive beetles. So for like a week out of the year, you don't want to go outside because like one of these things could land on you. Yeah. And, and they, you know, they land on you and they're not like, excuse me, 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 <laughs> They're just there, you know. <laughs> I, I think of you as being as someone who is not like bug avoidant. These are terrible. These are terrible bugs, though. This is this is a strong condemnation. <laughs> I, I I would say that I do not like the Palo Verde beetle. 
It's the rudest of the beetles. <laughs> are cockroaches beetles? Um, cockroaches are cockroaches. Oh god, you're, you're gonna make me look this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> How many genes would we have to add to make them not a bug anymore? Well, a bug is a, I mean, this might be a fun conversation too. Bug is a colloquialism, right? It's not like a scientific classification, right? Um, so it can be. Okay, so the, the, um, the short answer to your cockroach question is that cockroaches are in the same group as termites. They're not beetles. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, the answer to your bug question is that um, hemiptera are actually considered true bugs, and they have like piercing and sucking mouth parts. <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. know. My <laughs> Wait, so is is that a subclassification of insect? Yes. Wow. Okay. Because like I if I were to make a guess as like what most people would think of as being a bug, I would I would say there was an it if they wanted to try to classify it scientifically, it would be insects. Yeah, yeah. This is why scientists don't talk to other people. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not a true bug though. No, a true bug is a hemiptera. <laughs> right. I think the bug category for me is anything, sort of a range of behaviors. <clears throat> and it's, just, it's like the it's sort of the gross crawly behaviors, which means up to a bunch of kinds of small dogs are included <laughs> bugs yeah. in my classification. <laughs> Many people's children. It's a very broad range, but I stick by it. What, what if they're like, what if they're sentient enough to say, excuse me, do they... Do they exit the bug category? Or are they still stuck there because they're like snot-nosed or something? Well, it depends. Were they saying it to be polite or were they saying it to be rude? <laughs> if it's rude, right back in the bug category. <laughs> I There has to be a bug that uh, can can repeat speech like a parrot. You think so? <laughs> well... You have um you have hissing cockroaches which kind of like make like a kind of a squeaky hissy noise when you squeeze them maybe that you could get that to sound like speech through enough filters right, <laughs> right. there's there's the fact that they they might not be able to even store that much information to like repeat your words back at you which would be an amazing like variant on like a hissing cockroach if you <laughs> You curse at this bug that you're trying to get away from, and it curses right back at you. But think about in higher and higher pitch, and, and that's it, right? Because because that's what bugs are going to hear all the time is get it off and kill it. And so now you've got these things teaching this to each other as like a mating call, right? So you're trying to sleep, and outside is all just going kill it, kill it, <laughs> get it off, kill it. People are like, when are the cicadas coming back? They will drown this out. Oh, guess what? Cicadas are way coming back. Brood 10 is scheduled for this summer. So if you live in um, Pennsylvania or Indiana or West Virginia or parts of New Jersey, get ready because Brood wow. 10 is coming. Yeah, And and cicadas, guess, guess what? They are true bugs. <laughs> Excellent. Piercing and sucking mouth parts. <laughs> they do, yeah. <laughs> The worst mouth parts. The worst mouth parts. I don't know. Mosquitoes have like sawing and sucking mouth parts. I would think those are slightly worse. <laughs> I saw you um, writing about Brood 10 on Twitter and I thought it was Brood X. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you would because, <laughs> you know, scientists don't talk to other people. <laughs> and I still, you know, when I come to think of it, I still don't know whether it's OS X or OS 10. <laughs> have to ask them <laughs> i think the important thing is to apply the subtitle from the friday the 13th series so the <laughs> brood x brood in space yes <laughs> where they belong <laughs> i'm for it <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic sure let's do so we're going to watch the music video for uh, the Beastie Boys sabotage at one quarter speed. <laughs> right, hang on a second. I have to stretch cords to reach things. Mike is a cyborg. I'm trying for modularity. I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> He's got a hidden agenda that he didn't talk about. <laughs> I thought if I put that in the what I'm promoting, it would just be too obvious. Is, is the, is, he has the agenda instead of like a left thumb. Yeah. <laughs> It's convenience. 
Just give people the, show people the agenda as your approval. <laughs> you could be inviting guests onto topic lords that are like promoting their hidden agendas all the time. And, you know, what are you doing about that? I mean, I'm asking them if they have anything to plug. <laughs> so it's not going to be hidden anymore. <laughs> oh, that's true. So it's, it's unhiding the, the agenda. <laughs> are we ready? Yes. Great. I'm ready to go. All right, I'm going to count down from three, and on zero, we hit play. Okay. All right. Three, two, one, zero. Okay, we got flashing sirens here. Uh-huh. I think this is... Um, oh, cop car. The, the siren on top of the car is one of those colors that you can legally use if you're not a cop. Oh. Uh, in fact, like the fact that they use cop colors to film anything. I don't know how they do that because they would get arrested. Right. Maybe they just get the cooperation of the police. That's quite possible. I mean, they get these old kind of like junker cars to do all of these uh, these stunts with. Although it looks like they're doing their own stunts. This guy's going for a roll. <laughs> yeah. This is great. This must be California because those are Deodar Cedars in the background. Oh. Yeah. This has to be California. Um, those are Himalayan trees, by the way. You don't think it's filmed in the Himalayas? <laughs> I, I don't. Although that's English ivy. So that looks a little, it could be still West Coast. <laughs> I think I think maybe all the invasive species are the secret subtext to the sabotage video. <laughs> right. Oh, Big Hill. This might be San Francisco. Okay. You know, they don't tell you where they are, uh, which I think would provide a lot of context for like what they're doing as cops. I think they're just reenacting cop shows that they've seen is what's happening here. I'm really <laughs> glad. I was considering um, instead uh, of this, the video uh, for... Power Man 5000 When Worlds Collide. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, oh, I can send you a link. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's just as ridiculous, but in a very different way. Yeah. But I'm yeah. thinking like maybe there were some potted plants in the background there that Eric could have talked about. Yeah, yeah. But like definitely. this is the fact that we've got some real just trees hanging out. Well, I actually, actually, that looks like Berkeley in the background there. Oh, interesting. I actually have a personal connection to the Beastie Boys, and this like would not have come up any other way either. Uh -huh. um, but when I was in high school, yeah, that's probably San Francisco or LA, right? Somebody can we got a write skyline. in and tell us. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I was friends with this guy, Greg. We were on lighting crew together in the school play and everything. And we were pretty close friends. And his dad was a music producer. Um, he produced like David Bowie. No, I'm sorry. Not David Bowie. Mott the Hoople. He, he claims to have slept with David Bowie. He okay. produced um, Earth, Wind and Fire. He produced um, Lou Reed for a while. So he was like kind of a big wig who would like try out music on us. So he like tried out the Dave Matthews band on us and we we're like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. We like it. It's okay. And then we got to go see Dave Matthews. But we were um, guests of the Beastie Boys, me and Greg and his girlfriend, Brett, and our friend, Seth. And uh, we were guests of the Beastie Boys at Lollapalooza. So we got to go hang out in their trailer. Huh. And one of them was doing community service. And his community service took the form of like advertising for Tibetan freedom. So he was traveling around with Tibetan monks, which meant that the trailer was just absolutely full of like fresh vegetables and juicers. So I was hanging out with the Beastie Boys and the guy from Green Day asked me on a date, even though I was only 17 and I told him so. <laughs> and, um, you know, drinking carrot juice with like Buddhist monks at, in the back of Lollapalooza. <laughs> so it's kind of funny for me to watch these guys like running around. Um, yeah. Because like they're just they're just people doing dumb things in this, you know, dumb video. And like their lives were kind of dumb for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Nick Nick Cave through a chair. <laughs> Did the guy from Green Day seem suitably chastised? Um, not really. He was, you know, cool and uh, famous and stuff. And he was like, "Well, we could get a drink together here." And I'm like, "Yes, I'm not 21." 
and he didn't he didn't seem like that was um yeah that was like a barrier but to me you, i, I, I kind of get what he was going for there yeah, yeah. T- to me it was a barrier that he was in green day like their music is terrible oh, oh but you <laughs> you used your age as an excuse then basically yeah i mean like had he been let me see who else was there i don't know that was the year of like um i can't even remember there are these like kind of punk sounding post grunge people. Yeah, no, I would have I would have happily gotten a drink with an 18 year old had that 18 year old like been in a cool band, but right. not the Green Day guy. Yeah. It's probably in his mid thirties. <laughs> he had green hair. <laughs> One thing I really enjoy about this video that really like is how nobody's outfits fit. They're mm-hmm. all too big. Yeah. And I feel like that really plays up the uh, the feeling that they're kids having fun. Oh, yeah. Is that part of why you chose this? Well, I chose it because I thought it was uh, ridiculous and fun to talk about. It is, it is ridiculous. <laughs> the, <laughs> the cop glasses and the wigs kind of make me think it's supposed to be like some kind of porn, but it's just like endless reels of them eating donuts and like showing their badges and jumping jumping over the hoods of cars. Well, and, yeah. and tackling people in the pools. Right. Which I think, <laughs> this is, I think, the worst thing that cell phones have done to us. It is no longer okay to tackle anyone oh, into, yeah. into a pool. That's true. <laughs> It, it used to be that under certain circumstances, you could, and it was very funny. And you just can't anymore, because that's <laughs> hundreds of dollars that you're throwing away. <laughs> Do people not have otter boxes? <laughs> I, I don't. I, maybe everyone else plans better for people like me. Yeah, you, have because... to, you have to interrogate someone. Before you throw them in the pool, you interrogate them about what kind of phone they have. Yeah. Because yeah. if they have a, a waterproof phone, it's okay. Well, I mean, I'm such a klutz. Like when I when I had to get a new phone, like there was no way that I wasn't getting like a shockproof and waterproof case for it. Like I don't understand yeah. why. Oh wow, this is real danger. Some cloth dummy is falling off the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, cloth dummy. <laughs> Listen, that, that cloth dummy could have had a full cloth life. <laughs> I know. I know. It's too bad he's not modular. <laughs> oh, no. Cloth dummy. You know it's a bad fall when your legs break that hard on the way down. <laughs> Even before you get to the ground. I don't know if this is that everybody in the 70s looked like this. Like, this is, a, I think, it's supposed to be a 70s cop show. Um, sure. And I think porn from the 70s, people also looked like that. And I think it might just be that everybody in the 70s just looked like that. Or it may be that... <laughs> my my parents certainly looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> or it may be that people like who make porn wanted to look like the people in the cop shows uh-huh. or vice versa. Those glasses and the and the mustache are really like you can't you can't get past that look. Yeah. You have to remember that pornography is just a subsection of the 70s, and you can tell true porn by its piercing and sucking mouth parts. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that pornography was just a subsection of cop shows. <laughs> well, that as well. <laughs> I, told, I told Jim this story on Twitter, but um, when I was at Berkeley, um, there was a group of graduate students who would hold like a themed party for Halloween every year. And um, they would do things like um, mashup costumes. So they would have like Lucy Lou Ferrigno and um, oh. Popeye the Sailor Moon. <laughs> That's, that is pretty good. I, I'm, writing, I'm writing these down. These are all amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of all of the ones that they came up with because they were they were just totally delightful. But every year the shitty neighbors would call the cops and the cops would run in and bust up the party um, just because it was going late or it was loud or something. And one year they really wanted to do um, like a sexy cop party where the <laughs> where the, they would all dress up as sexy cops. And so when the cops arrived, they would just like give the beers to the cops and be like, oh, I love your costume, dude. You look so good. <laughs> Actually, I had the cops called on one of my Halloween parties one year, apparently by accident, because, you know, there's a bunch of people there, and then somebody's going, oh, the police are here. I'm like, I better go solve this. I'm dressed like a, a pirate in a pumpkin. This is a good time <laughs> to go talk to authority figures. So I go around, and there's three cops leaning over my back gate, and I say, what seems to be the trouble, as you do? And one of them said, there was a 911 call from this address. And I said, well, I don't even have a phone. And they said, well, it was, a, it was from a cell phone that was then 
pinpointed here. I'm like, well, if you want to come in and look around, you're welcome to. And from behind me, one of my friends goes, hey, are those the strippers? <laughs> not the time. Everything's going well right now. If you could please let it continue that way. I'm a little distressed that now every time I'm on Topic Lords, it comes back to sexy cops. Because <laughs> it, never... it can't be a coincidence that popcorn <laughs> no, is a for popcorn. <laughs> I'm not into sexy cops. <laughs> Well, what if it was a sexy 18-year-old cop in a cool band? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a lot of qualifications. We'd have to we'd have to talk. We'd have to talk offline. I'm also <laughs> older than I was, so oh, right, uh, yes. that might not work in the opposite direction. Right. <laughs> okay. They've got everything resolved. They threw the dummy out of the car. They're just walking now. Just chill dudes. Yeah. Short ties. Walking and fading to black. Yeah. Perfect. We did it. We watched the whole video. It's excellent. Right. And we talked about several pieces of it. Did you did you see any more cool plants that There was there was a tree fern. There were your, you know, your oranges, so citrus family, right? Um oh, yeah. I, I saw some eucalypts. Um there there were some other things. But uh you know, to to be in the mind of a botanist is a very um Time spools out in a different fashion. <laughs> even, at one, even at one quarter speed? Even at one quarter speed. <laughs> oh my God. But people people will send me things, um, either pictures of plants or birds, um, that they're like driving by and taking a picture of a tree out of their moving car and they want me to identify it. <laughs> so you get you get good out of the, at these things out of necessity. You can't keep telling people like I can't tell you what this plant is if you um if it's only one inch high and you don't get down and photograph it closely. <laughs> right. There, there is another option because people are usually imprecise in their language. So what they'll usually say is can you tell me what this is? <laughs> And the answer is absolutely because they did not say correctly. Right, right, right. Yes, I should I should exploit that more often. Or you can just say no. <laughs> oh yeah, right. But this is it's like when I'm walking down the street and someone pulls up and asks me for directions. I always give them directions to the best of my ability, even if I have no idea where I am. I'll just tell them to go ahead, like take the next right, go for a quarter block, make a left, because I might be right. And either way, I won't be there when they find out I'm not. So, Jim, I want you to understand this about Micah, that this is true about oh, him. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's not just saying this. He had a boss. Micah, you should tell this story about when you had a boss who thought your name was Marsha. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to hear your version of this story. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell it right. <laughs> that's why it's better. Stories evolve. Um, so, so Micah got a job and the person who was in charge of him was in a different room on a different floor or something. I think they store Micah in the basement because he's dangerous to the people around him. <laughs> to and to were... people trying to get directions. <laughs> right. And so his boss would call down and say, like, I need to speak to Marsha. Um, you know, and, and Micah knew full well that he had not uh, processed Micah's name correctly and was just mistaken. So Micah would say, there's no Marsha here and hang up <laughs> on his boss <laughs> at like a new job, I think. <laughs> this is all correct. You're nailing this story. Cool. <laughs> Micah's like a, a very, very, very smart person who can do... Um, an enormous amount of damage in a short period of time by being very precise about things. <laughs> he's, he's a different kind of like chaos demon than you are, Jim, but I, th I feel like you have overlapping energies in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, could, I can imagine. <laughs> it was it was just last Sunday. So I was laying a trail for people to follow. and As one does. It, yeah, well, right, as one does. And so I had checked out this trail before to make sure it was safe or reasonably so. And I found this little path across the middle of a lake, which was there when the water was low enough. Now, the lake also contained some geese. And there was a clear spot in the middle where the geese were like thinking about nesting. But it looked fine. And so I was like, oh, this will be fine. Planned it all out. Go down there the day of. It's no longer a planned nest. Like from the, in the previous day, the geese have decided this is where they're going to settle. They made a clear nest there. 
and I see two geese in the lake eyeing me. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I, I can still make it here. So I'm going across a little strip of land. As I get there, I see four eggs in the nest. Oh, no. And the geese are now coming across the lake in a hurry and hissing. Yeah. And I'm like, well, time to go. But the trail's already half laid. I guess everyone else is going to have a big Easter surprise when they get here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's the, how, the story of how one of my friends fell into the water. <laughs> it, th- these are the dangers of being friends with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yes. Micah, your topic is Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool Cinematic Universe. All right. I'm extremely excited about Ryan Reynolds right now because he's managed to achieve what I think everyone's goal ought to be, whether or not it is, which is just total freedom from all societal expectations. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, a lot of people should never achieve that because (laughs) they're terrible or will lead their friends into goose traps. So for many of us, it's a good thing that they can't do whatever they want. Ryan Reynolds appears to just be delightful all the time. And part of what he's doing is just playing Deadpool at all times in his own life, in other movies. And just, it's, speaking of chaos energy, a lot of fun to watch. In, what was that movie? Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff of the Fast and Furious series. Ryan Reynolds has a brief role in that, in which he just plays Deadpool without the suit on. <laughs> Comes in addresses The Rock as Jennifer, refuses to give him a sort It's just, I can't even tell if he's supposed to be in the movie or if he just showed up one day and they didn't cut it. He recently, recently live tweeted his ostensibly first watching of Green Lantern, which he was in, entirely as an ad for his gin company. And it's just, what a good thing to do with your weekend night. <laughs> does anybody have any power over him? Like, does he... So I don't, I don't know anything about these superhero movies, except that sometimes I watch part of them in a, in a gym, but many years ago when that kind of thing was a reality. Um, I don't even know if Deadpool is a superhero. I have not seen it. I could not tell you what Ryan Reynolds looks like, but uh, is there anyone with like one of those gloves that has jewels in it or the thing like the unobtainium or whatever comes out of Wakanda that could rein in this person? <laughs> Not really, because Deadpool is pure nerd writer wish fulfillment. He's uh-huh. a fourth wall breaking character okay. who is aware that he's in comic movies. He's just, there are no rules that constrain him because he's fast healing at all the stuff that applies within the universe. Also, he knows that he's fictional. Uh-huh. With those, he's, you know, he can get torn in half and keep on going. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, in the real world. Well, possibly that too. <laughs> I don't know that he, I have not seen him, anyone try it. I know he's married. So I assume there are people who have like some emotional hold on him, but yeah, it's, he has enough money that certainly, what are they going to do? Threaten to not cast him anymore? He doesn't care. Uh-huh. Maybe these movies are worth watching. <laughs> Maybe the, the man himself is worth watching. <laughs> have you seen these movies, Jim? I have not, but one of the music videos that we watched was, uh, in the previous episode, was the one where... Oh, this, this, this is the guy who played Detective Pikachu, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so This is what I'm talking about. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking him up now. <laughs> he uploaded to the internet... Uh, a pirated version of the Detective Pikachu movie that was actually just a 30-second loop of Detective Pikachu exercising and and dancing, (laughs) playing for, like, the full length of the movie. Um, So, I I am a little bit familiar with the actor's oeuvre. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that he's been in. So, he bought a streaming... Or, sorry, he bought a, a phone company not too long ago, and uh, Mint Mobile, I think. And as a promo for that, set up a streaming service, because that's what everyone's doing, which is a bold move for your new phone company to set up a streaming service. And so the streaming service had only one movie, the movie he's in called Foolproof, which is from the mid-90s. And they set it off like Netflix. There were different categories in which every answer was foolproof. They had the top (laughs) 10 list, all 10 were foolproof. He set up an entire... You know, a, a lot of time and effort went into this very stupid joke. And then they kept it up for a week and you could watch Foolproof as many times as you wanted. Huh. I'm detecting I'm detecting a, 
a little bit of jealousy in oh, your absolutely. voice. <laughs> no question. But like I said, the big difference is all the decisions he makes are good, might be pressing it, <laughs> but he doesn't go, yeah, but on the other hand, it'd be really funny if people just came outside and their car was upside down, <laughs> which it would be. It's, just, it's really hard to process that one. Have you turned somebody's car upside down? <laughs> no, but I wish I had, because that'd be cool. Because that, that's what you would do. The I problem see. is there's, there's no non-damaging way to do that. No matter how carefully you flip a car over, mm-hmm. the roof's getting scratched up. Right. You're probably going to break a window. Right, right. Strange, strangely, they don't build them to take stresses from that angle. Yeah, sometimes I sometimes I wonder why we're like not closer friends and then and then like it just answers itself you know (laughs) (laughs) so i had thought that i could just watch foolproof anytime like i saw that uh movie streaming service i thought it was very funny and was like maybe i'll watch this someday it's just right there but apparently it went away a week later yep it was strictly there to make everyone say mint mobile a lot and then it went away. So, is there another way to watch that movie? Yeah, you go to Ryan Reynolds' house. <laughs> you have him act it out for you? Right. I mean, I presume he owns every copy. <laughs> How else could they put so many on streaming? Right. That's what you do as an actor is hoard copies of your own, of your own um, projects, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's if it's one that nobody cares about, but you have a you have like a emotional attachment to it because it was your first movie or whatever. Yeah. Should we move on to the next topic? Uh, let's onward, Erica. Your topic is watching Shakespeare. So this is a project um, that my husband and his sister started together, and like it's attracted followers. So now his whole family is doing it, and I am also doing it. So the idea was that we would watch um, three versions of one play and then three versions of another play and so on um, for the the rest of the duration of the pandemic. And so we started with Henry V, um, which was not my favorite play, but it has like a lot of interesting things that it has trained my mind to do. Like, first of all, I feel very bad for all of these actors because... Like when you watch a Shakespeare play, you've watched it and it's kind of over. And then you watch another group of people trapped in the same reality as the previous people. And then you do it again. And it's a whole new group of people just saying the same terrible things to one another and threatening each other and trying to kill one another and depose one another from their, from their, you know, thrones and stuff. And like, they're all doing this thing. So you know, like when you play a video game, you see the same sort of cast go through like the same motions all the time and it becomes familiar. There's something like weirdly unfamiliar about the new casts, but then the same same dramas over and over again. And it's really incredible and also like frightening in some ways. And like Henry V was was terrible and I hated it. But then we watched a whole bunch of other Shakespeare and I suddenly like loved it in comparison. (laughs) 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 And now we're watching, um, we're watching three versions of King Lear. Thankfully the last one is, is Ron, which is um, Kurosawa and does not have the Shakespeare script. But the first version of, um, the first version of Lear was very screamy. Everybody was very screaming all the time. And it was kind of sad because it was the Ian McKellen version. I really wanted to like it. But he spends a lot of time like kissing people on the mouth, like his fool and like his daughters and stuff. And like he's got kind of a gross beard. And now we're watching the Anthony Hopkins version, which I, I find to be much better because the the kissing at least doesn't have that facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> Kissing is in the script. The kissing is in the script. Uh, well, no, I mean, like there are no, there are no real um, stage directions in Shakespeare. Occasionally, you get one. Like if you read the plays, I think in in a Winter's Tale, there's yep. one stage direction that's like exit pursued by a bear. But other, <laughs> other than that, like entrances and exits, and that's it. You know, 
So I'm, I'm learning a lot about Shakespeare. I'm learning a lot about myself. And like now I'm, because I'm a completionist, I'm totally addicted to watching all of the Shakespeare. And it's kind of this weird torture um, that I look forward to every evening. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the sort of thing someone would make a podcast about. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, um, I don't know that I've had that experience of like back to back or even in even like next week, for example, seeing two different performances of the same exact script. Right. Like that's not something that you see outside of theater, I don't think. I was I was wondering if it was gonna be similar. So I've done a lot of theater, like, you know, when I was much younger. But I was wondering if it was gonna be similar to like daily performances and daily rehearsals. And it's not because the the scripts are slightly different. Many of them are like heavily edited for clarity or for brevity. And the emotional tones that the actors take tend to be very, very different. Um, and I end up kind of respecting the actors a lot and not really loving the Shakespeare, not loving the script and not loving, loving the words, but really loving the individual performances. Right. So like when I was in high school, we read all of these Shakespeare plays and you, and you know, you go around the room and it's high schoolers reading Shakespeare. You have to assume that the Shakespeare is good because the high schoolers are awful. (laughs) But here I really feel like the actors um, are the, the shiny parts of the, of the play and not so much like the, the memorable lines or the, um, things that you can learn from Shakespeare. I, I recommend it. I recommend trying something like this. It's a it's a weird mind game to play that will teach you something that you don't expect. Yeah. I would not try it with Henry V. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that like edited for brevity makes sense, but for clarity doesn't really to me because like the whole point of sh- like my understanding at least is that, you know, the Shakespeare stories were tropey, like told a thousand times stories, even in his day. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point is the language. Yeah, but the, the language to the modern ear is not right. understandable. Right. Which kind of like, at that point, why do it at all? Like, is, is my reaction to that. Right. Well, it's kind of like, why, why translate something from Finnish? Yeah. Some of the some of the editing for clarity though is just like um certain things would appear out of order to us because they have to they have to like all happen on a stage and there are only so many actors that you can have on a stage at once so you might want to kind of intersplice a scene huh. and have um have kind of more of like a seeming dialogue in two places or, you know, some of the clarity stuff is just like... This is how you would do it in a movie, but there it wasn't a movie. Yeah, or, or sometimes like, um, you're just kind of like, why is this scene going on for, for 10 minutes? You know, like, <laughs> like, the point of the scene is like getting Lear to talk to his daughter. It's like, why does that exchange need 15 lines? Why can't it be three lines? You know? Yeah. Because backstage, people were changing clothes. Oh! Yeah, I knew you were going to have some insight into this. That, yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah. But, like, the script doesn't, presumably the script doesn't say backstage, people are changing clothes. It just <laughs> assumes that that people will, just from reading the script, be like, oh, yeah, he's leaving us a space to change clothes here. Right. Right. I yep. hadn't thought about that. Just like with the stage directions, Shakespeare assumes that director is going to ignore whatever he writes down anyway, and therefore didn't bother <laughs> to write down much of any of it. He's like, this part's here. You don't like it? Do your own thing. I'm not your boss. <laughs> Be your own Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> That's right. Be the Ryan Reynolds you want to see in the world. Right, right. So what Shakespeare play would you recommend to this to be done with? Oh, God, I don't know, because, you know, like, the more that I watch them, the more that I kind of individually hate them. Um, but <laughs> Every single um, one. Yeah, I I kind of, um, so 
in the interim, while we're waiting for David's sister to read the next play, like we've watched all of the Hollow Crown, um, which are most of the histories. And I would kind of start there as like a warm up. And then I would like choose one of those to go with because the histories are really, the histories are really delightful and horrible. They're kind of like a big, they're probably what the Game of Thrones um, books were like um, modeled on. Um, hmm. But the the worst, cruelest one is Richard III. And in the Hollow Crown, it's paid, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. And he's very good at being a bad character. Richard III is, is certainly kind of like the most interesting to me. So I would I would try that one. But yeah, I mean, I think I didn't like Henry V because there's, um, there's a character in it called Falstaff, who's beloved. And he just like appears in random plays. He, he appears in the preceding plays. He, like he appears in like fictional plays. And I, I almost wonder if that was written for a particular actor. But to me, like, I don't enjoy his presence on the stage. So if you like him, you could do Henry V, but Henry V will make con- like make more sense in context once you've seen Henry IV. Like, I love the the first one, which was Richard III. Um, and then, you know, Henry IV follows Richard III. So I'd watch those again also. So you say so when you say Falstaff is beloved, like you mean by Shakespeare himself? I guess I mean like writers love him. You know, they okay. make a big they make a big deal about him because he's in the histories, but he's not based on a historical character and like he has so many part like he he carries so much of the play and he's so important, but he's like not it's not clear why he's there. Right. That does sound like fan service. Right. Right. Yeah, they like this they like this actor or something. Right. There there are two versions of Shakespeare I would recommend, neither of which are Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Go on. One of which one's called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged. It was originally by the Reduce Shakespeare Company, which was three guys based out of London, two of whom, if I remember correctly, were trained as Ringling Brothers clowns. So there's a lot of great physicality in it. And they summarize all of Shakespeare's plays in one hour and a half, two hour play. And they do that by obviously cutting out most of everything. All of the histories are condensed down into a football game with the crown being passed around. It's a a ton of fun. I have seen that. I've probably seen six different versions of that and I've loved all of them. So I, I recommend that in any version you can find. It's usually done in like local theater productions, not in, there may be a movie version of it, but if so, I haven't seen it. Uh-huh. But it's, yeah, I love that one a lot. The other one is on the Monty Python, the Holy Grail DVD. One of the options in the subtitles is subtitles for people who didn't like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and if you turn that on, what they have done is subtitled the entire movie with lines that are basically the same thing as what's being said on screen. Taking all the lines directly from Shakespeare, and I think just from one of the histories. Oh, Wow. And it's such an amazing amount of work to have done. Wow. And I did it the whole way through. And plus now everyone's called Ho There Hotspur and other things like that, <laughs> which is always great. <laughs> that is very good. Oh, I mean, if we're going down this track, I have to recommend like the the Klingon versions of Hamlet. Like <laughs> any any Shakespeare in the original Klingon is going to be better. Uh, <laughs> if you get that <laughs> reference, you're too big a fan of Star Trek. Also, yes. I don't know much about Klingon, but like I know that it, it is kind of the vocabulary is kind of limited. And so I have to imagine that there are like for the most part, it's just a straightforward translation, but there were there've got to be like some phrases in there where they have to say an entire paragraph to get what they mean across. There's a there's a wonderful documentary on so there's like a Chicago group that did that performed um, Hamlet in Klingon and Klingons like originally were like based on Shakespearean actors with like high foreheads and and the kind of hair and the the outfits and the demeanor um, and the obs- the obsession with honor and you could imagine basically like any of these honor-based plays being done better by Klingons for for sure for sure but they put on Hamlet and the actors talk about how Hamlet is like really 
not um, not a Klingon personality because like he is thoughtful and uh, <laughs> he's taking a long time to say things. So there's there's a big <laughs> there's a big like um, translation problem getting Klingon to to that um, point where it can express all of those emotions. Um, but you know Klingon, it's not that it's so limited. It's just that like they're they're whole concept of life is different than ours. So how you say hello in Klingon is like, what's the matter? <laughs> like, why are you bothering me? You know, so so all of these things have to get translated into the the concept of being a Klingon. And uh, that's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you say excuse me rudely versus politely in Klingon? Um, probably like it's, um, you are in my way versus like, I am going to kill you. <laughs> which, which one's the rude one? I'm not sure. <laughs> the way they do it in English is they say, excuse you. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Erica, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Yerick, TRB. And Micah, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter as well, at Marsha Writes. I'm kidding, it's at Micah Writes. Thanks so much for being on. Hang up on him. (laughs) (laughs) There's no Marsha here. Thanks for having us on, Jim. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.